Hello, podcast world. Welcome to Vicarious Living, a show about a couple Midwest dudes breaking down all the beauty that is teen drama TV. Welcome back, Carrie Sliving. Welcome back to the podcast. Welcome to tonight's guest intro package. A fellow hardcore OC super fan hailing from parts completely unknown in the Oxford, Ohio area. A champion for all women, young and old alike. <laughs> And a direct blood relative to this teen podcaster sitting here in this podcast studio. What's the late? What's the latest feedback for you for this podcast? Constructive, of course. Honestly, okay, I do have some constructive feedback. Yeah, I know on movie breakdowns you have a system of like we do a character breakdown, well, plot summary, character breakdown, and then you got the awards at the end. Mm-hmm. I think sometimes you lose some like humorous content in the middle because you're like really sticking to your outline. I think you could be a little more fluid. So get more liquid. So get more liquid and get off of like point A leading to point B in the plot of the movie. Yeah, because sometimes you'll be like, <laughs> you'll be like, that's a good point. I wanted to get with that. And, and that takes us into our next segment, which is, <laughs> and it just feels a little overproduced well, if, I'm, if I'm weighing in no, constructively. Look, that's good constructive feedback. Um, this podcast just for the kid it is very overly produced <laughs> it is it is i it is a lot of man hours put into editing this podcast so it is produced at a very high level but mm-hmm. but yeah good feedback so we'll just we'll drop down the production level a little bit not make it cheap but just make it a little more organic yeah, yeah a little more conversational maybe yeah now i completely disregard that and let that segue into housekeeping so <laughs> let's do a little contact information for the kids so they can get at us they need to know this Email, vicariouslivingpod at gmail.com and Instagram. A lot of creativity goes into our Instagram. Vicarious Living Podcast on the gram. Go there for all of our good shit. Okay. Previously on the OC. I like you this much. God, how did I not get in? Why are you lying about it? I got in. She said if I didn't get in and she did, she wouldn't go to Brown. We applied to Brown so that we could be together. I guess I changed my mind. We're over. Keep trying to picture myself at Berkeley. I can't. Check out Newport Barbie. How about $700 million? Now you're trying to bribe me. You gotta get him to quit this. I can't just quit. I went to see your mother. All you have to do is go to your son's birthday party. I don't know. She wanted to make it here, but she, she couldn't. Season three tonight episodes 21 and 22 let's kick it off with episode 21 the dawn patrol Mm -hmm. the return of don atwood 
Ryan's got to nail down two guests for graduation. It's mm-hmm. a graduation episode. Mm-hmm. And so he's got to fly to Albuquerque to get his mom, who's estranged, has not been in the picture much. Mm-hmm. Didn't come to his 18th birthday. Correct. She flew off the handle, got blacked out drunk, season one at Casino Night, episode three, season one. Amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, so Ryan and her have a really rough, patchy past. So he's got to fly there to invite her to her graduate his graduation. First thing I want to say, though, I just listened to the new Rachel Bilson and Melinda Clark yeah. podcast. I kind of want to listen to it at least once or twice to see how it is. Yeah. So thinking of Ryan is what made me kind of transition into that podcast because big, big, big time casting. What if I learned from that pod in mm-hmm. terms of Ryan's role? Who? So apparently one of the guys who was heavily in consideration for that was one Chris Pine. Really? Yeah. From Star Trek. He feels even older, though, than uh, Ben Buttons is. So you got to remember him in Star Trek 1. That was 2009. This mm-hmm. would be six or seven years before that, that, that Chris Pine age. I definitely feel like Ben Buttons still is like darker, though, than Chris Pine. I don't know that I would have liked that. Do you want to hear the one knock on why they didn't go with Chris Pine? Is he too short? <laughs> no. Chris, are you serious? Chris Pine is not short. Well, I was just trying to think of something that would be ridiculous because who would be shorter than Ryan? <laughs> no. No. They said that it's because his acne was too bad. Which would have made him actually look younger and appropriate yeah. for the yeah. role. I know. It would have made him look like an actual teen. Yeah. I know. Um, I hadn't watched the OC in a while. And then I put these episodes on earlier today to like catch up and make sure I was fresh for this. And I just like the first shot was of Seth Cohen. And I was just like, oh, my God, he looks 33. <laughs> like, yeah. He looks so old. So they, they said that Ryan was the hardest role to cast in the entire show because you had to be able to do everything. You had to be able to play like the bad boy, but then also be like, you know, a good, good guy, guy deep down, a good character guy who people are pulling for, even though he's got like a rough exterior. Yeah. And you kind of had to be white trash, but then also become like Newport class. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And you have to be able to like toe the line in between those two worlds. I would. I just want to. Speaking of that pod, I would just went on a whole rampage here with fun facts because this pod has been so exciting for this podcast because I'm getting oh, all we these love it. inside details. Um, so these are just completely unrelated. But from the pod, Josh Schwartz, the director, the yeah. creator, the of guy, course. of course. On the first one, he said, and I I thought this was amazing. He was like, one of the prevalent themes from the OC is that everyone feels like an outsider in that town and he's like right. even the people that appear to be the ultimate insiders mm-hmm. still feel like outsiders in that town i mean that's fair and i mean i feel like that's also super realistic though to like the real world like everybody who like quote fits in also feels like they're gonna be found out Posers. and like they're not gonna fit in and like everyone's gonna find out their secret and like that's what the whole show is about is like you slowly learn more and more about every one of their like dark secrets Yep. Yeah. Everyone's got some skeletons in the closet. And I I just when he said that, I was like, damn, that's so fucking true. Because 
Julie Cooper, for instance, mm-hmm. from the outside looking in, like if you're Ryan looking in, it looks right. like Julie Cooper is the ultimate insider. Yeah, with her velour matching tracksuits and yeah, you know, super big wedding ring. Yeah, but she's from what Riverside? Is that what it's called? Yeah, she's trash. Yeah, <laughs> she's trash from Riverside, not too far away from Chino, just as we know. Third thing I heard, and there's only been two pods that have come out, so um, this is just the last fun thing I thought was super interesting. Kevin Sorbo, yeah, casting director of the show, was on episode two of this pod, mm-hmm. and he said that Kevin Sorbo was like a weird, weird douche. Like he he legitimately said like they brought up Kevin Sorbo as Ryan's dad, and he's like, "Oh, that guy, so fucking weird." <laughs> You know, there's Douche. some drama out there with him in like the Twitter world. Oh, Sorbo? Yeah. Hercules? Yeah, yeah. He made some comment about like he's super against raising minimum wage. And I'm not trying to get political. Wow. But he's political super... podcast now. Jeez. I <laughs> thought this was for the kids. <laughs> he's super against raising the minimum wage. And he was just like, okay, well, if I have to raise the minimum wage, then I have to fire someone. And then somebody else tweeted back and was like, or you could just take a little less money because he's super wealthy. I mean, not that he's super famous still anymore, but like he's super wealthy. And like then people were just, you know, of course, then he's not woke as fuck like everyone else. Yeah, damn. That actually upsets me because I thought this casting director was just going rogue, just like throwing throwing shade at Kevin Sorbo. No, it Hercules. seems like he's actually just kind of a douche. Yeah, must be well known. It's like the Jeremy Piven thing. Like, you, if you say Jeremy mm-hmm. Piven's a D-bag, everyone's just going to agree with you. Mm-hmm. The, the hot take would actually be going the other way. Like, right. hey, Jeremy Piven's actually cool. Yeah. Um, okay. Out of uh, just praising that other podcast, because we have our own podcast to do. This episode, should we just start off with, let's, let's pause on Ryan. We'll, we'll get to him. Seth and Summer drama. Yeah. It is so frustrating, the storyline that's happening right now. Yes. Because his rationale is so messed up of, okay, she's gotten into Brown, and the only way she's not going to go if I don't go, and he can't go because he didn't get in. And so the only way she'll go is if I break her heart and we don't go together. We break up and then she'll finally go. Right. Like the rationale there makes no sense. It's it's the most backwards thinking because at the end of the day, it's like, dude, all of this would just be solved if you just stopped the nonsensical lying. It's yeah. now it's it's I get I I've talked about in the last pod. You can talk me into like doing white lies. You can talk me into doing certain lies where it's like I did that because Whatever. I I can be talked into some lies. But in this instance where you're ruining everyone's lives, now I can't be talked into it. Because now it's like there's no reason the truth would hurt so much less than what you're doing. Yeah, especially when it gets to, and I don't know if this is getting too far ahead, but when it gets to like, okay, so she's like, no, I'm not letting you break up with me. Yeah, yeah. Hold on. Let's play that clip. Let's play that. The breakup is off. That's right, I broke up with you, and technically it's in my power to technically unbreak us up. You can do that? Technically, I just did. So unless you can explain to my satisfaction what your deal is and why you suddenly don't want to be together next year, we're back on. Yeah, technically, officially, completely. Wait, here we are. It's good to have you back, babe. Okay, go ahead. 
Okay, yeah. So she's like, okay, I'm going to do this whole kissing booth thing. We're going to reignite. Like, he hasn't told me he doesn't love me. So until he says that, we're going to... And then he says the most hurtful thing. That he doesn't love her anymore. Doesn't want to be with her. She's crushed getting down off the coffee cart. And then he literally goes home and waits for Ryan and is like, I got to get her back. It's like, you fucking guy. You That's didn't it. have to do all of this. That's it. That's and in it. half a day, you changed your mind and realized your plan was completely absurd. Yeah. Okay. So let's take a step back on that because you just went through the entire Seth storyline in 13 and a half seconds. I'm jacked <laughs> up on this storyline. <laughs> so... Yeah, that first clip happens. Summer's plan is, hey, guy, I you didn't break up with me. I was actually the one who did it. It made no sense. So the breakup is off. Right. Breakup's off. Okay, cool. So then he doubles back and says, no, you know what? Breakup's not off. I'm now making it reofficial and I'm breaking up with you. Mm-hmm. So now they're officially broken up and it's be- on because of him now. Yeah. And Summer consults with Taylor Townsend. Yeah. And she calls her T to the T, which I love that nickname. Yeah. And I got to say, from a therapist perspective, Taylor was on some good advice there. Whoa. She said, yeah, hot take. Insider knowledge. Hot take. She said that he was doing an anxious spiral and this was a fear-based decision. (laughs) That he could He needed to face the fear to really have a productive conversation with her. And I was like, shit, T to the T, calling it like it is. That's some insider knowledge yeah, maybe, from the therapist world. Maybe they called in like a like a therapist. Consultant. Yeah, <laughs> just to like get that right. But She was wise. So it all leads to this big grand gesture where, as we recall from season one, the big time grand gesture that got summer to eventually acknowledge seth was this fire scene so I'm gonna know you're yeah of you you kiss all these other guys but you won't kiss me acknowledge me now or lose me forever Wait, you're dating this emo geek yes brad she's dating this emo geek yeah that's right um i'm a big dork and i listen to emo and i'm dating her why are you doing this yes summer i like you this much so Knowing that and how well it worked, Summer's now going to do it in reverse. Right. Do the whole, she gets up there and she says all these like nice sweet words. And then it doesn't go the same way as time one though. It goes this way. I love you this much and I want to be with you now and next year and whatever comes after that. So I'm asking... In the presence of his coffee cart and the sacred moment that it represents, if you can honestly tell me that you don't love me anymore. Summer. Just say it. Cohen, if you don't love me, I promise I will go to Brown by myself and I will be cold and miserable and alone. But I will never bother you again. I don't love you anymore. It it hurts my stomach watching. I I don't know why watching a dude crash and burn is so not as miserable as watching a lady crash and burn like that. It was super sad. She has to get down off the cart, which was really awkward for her because she's so small. And then she like just sits over on a step 
And it's like, Taylor, get away from me. Get away from me, Cohen. Yeah, she's like, yeah. just get out of here. Taylor comes in. She's like, oh, my God, I never thought that would happen. And she's like, I've got to go. And just like quickly leaves. And like you can tell she is just like trying so hard not to cry and lose it. And it's super sad. It's like a combination of embarrassment meets anger meets like like true heartbreak. Yeah, yeah. it's all the emotions. And then they have to sit in detention together. Yeah. And she just has to sit behind him and watch him for hours before she can finally like get the fuck out of there. Okay, so now let's go back to Seth and and put a button on him. You mentioned as you as you recapped the whole thing in 13 <laughs> seconds, you mentioned then the end of the episode. So we'll just we'll put a button on it officially. Ryan gets back, which we'll get to Ryan's trip to Albuquerque to see his mom. But Ryan gets back at the end of the episode and the first thing Seth says to him is, "Hey man, uh, lost summer, but you know what? It's time to get her back. It's time for me to officially get into Brown and get summer back. And that's when I realized, okay, I think the show started to decline in ratings a little bit in season three. Mm-hmm. And one of their solutions was, Hey, I think what it is, is the Seth and summer relationship has gone stale and we need to get it back to what everyone loved in season one and two when it was working was him chasing her yeah, and him trying to get her. And so let's and the just love triangle thing. And yeah. Yeah. So let's just do this stupid nonsensical breakup that makes no logical sense just so we can get him back to chasing her. Yeah. But it's like, again, to do that, though, you are you're assuming that the entire audience is like the dumbest of the dumb lowest common denominator because the actions he was doing with all the lying it's i i love seth i think this stretch for him these few episodes it's like it's comparable to those episodes where he was smoking pot where it's just like why are you hiding this like nobody fucking cares but he was being so weird and lame about it like I don't know. Like, there's a stretch of stretch of Seth that I'm not a huge fan of in this season. But, yeah, with all this, it's like, okay, you look her in the eye. You tell her you don't love her anymore. And, like, it's literally the same night then he's talking to Ryan and is like, I've made a huge mistake. We got to do all these things. It's time to make a plan. It's like, how has everything done a 180 for uh, you yeah. in a matter of, what, four hours? Like, her grand gesture didn't make you realize how much you love her. It was you then leaving detention, stewing on it for three hours, and then telling her, no, it's just, yeah, it's like, we're all stupid. We don't know what this was really all about, of just, like, generating audience interest. It reminds me of that clip from He's Just Not That Into You, where the ladies are being interviewed, and they go, like, I hate it when a guy breaks up with you, and he goes, like, I'm so jealous of the guy that gets you. And then the girl goes, I thought that could have been you. Like, that, that's what I was thinking. <laughs> yeah, that, wait, that could just be you that we you don't have to be jealous. Like, that's how I feel with Seth where it's like, wait, all this is in your control guy. You were dating her less than four and a half hours ago. Yeah. You just nonsensically made her break up with you. Mm-hmm. I don't get it. Yeah. I don't understand. And as someone who did the online dating thing for a while, which was a, <laughs> freaking nightmare i heard that more than once not that's not a brag that i'm so great yeah obviously it's not great it was multiple dudes <laughs> saying they didn't want to do it's like 
I just think like you're amazing and like I'm so jealous of like the dude that gets sent up with like you're gonna be like such a great partner for someone and I'm like I thought that's what we were doing here yeah though huh Th- this oh. is okay so in that instance what I think is the person that's doing that just like in the movie he's just not that into you he's just not that into just you wasn't into and me. exactly so in this instance hey with this Seth, isn't clicking as much as I thought it would best of luck thanks a bunch bro best of luck to you too like let's not do the fucking pony show there <laughs> yeah we don't need it i get it you're not into me fuck me i'm out same with this it's like okay this is what makes me think that seth really just loves the chase if yeah if he is it hasn't if he has it in his control to do all this shit and he's choosing not to i don't know what other logical conclusion you can come to yeah because there she is essentially chasing him. She's got the grand gesture. She's doing the chase. And he's like, he looked her dead in the eye. And it was good acting on Adam Brody's part. And yeah. it was just like, I don't love you anymore. And walked away. Yeah. So it's, again, okay. Mm-hmm. We I, we could spend the whole time. We're killing it. It's, We're killing it. I, but it I, sucked. He sucked. This It was so shitty. I really just wanted to make sure that we covered that whole story in over 13 seconds. But then I realized like, yeah, we could spend 13 hours on it because of how frustrating it is. So, so maybe we should have done my way. So <laughs> we should have done a happy medium. Um, let's let's just go to Marissa and Volchek. Let's hard transition into them. Yeah. Uh, first thing I have on them. I, I really we haven't done a ton of time talking about Julie Cooper. We, we've talked about Marissa and Volchek a lot on this pod. So I, I don't, I don't have too much on them in this episode. Um, the main thing is in this episode is Julie's trying to, of course she wants a breakup to happen between Volchek and Marissa. That's classic. Uh, Julie's yeah. never happy with, with uh, who Marissa's dating. I want to play this clip though, because it, it brings me to my, my point on her. Her school called. She didn't show up today. She already got into college. Listen up, Tommy Lee. You're just the latest in a series of experiments my daughter likes to make when acting out. So enjoy it, because right here, right now, is as good as it gets for you. Soon Marissa's going to wake up and realize she is so much better than you in your life. And you think she's going to come running back to you? Marissa knows that I will be there for her whenever she decides to come home, because I am her family. Not some punk with a smirk three brain cells and a good Coke connection. You tell her that. I love this version of Julie Cooper the most because mm-hmm. there's essentially two versions of Julie Cooper that I think America fell in love with. One is this, which is you're no good for my daughter. You're trash and you're she's way out of your league mm-hmm. kind of thing. And she did it with Ryan. Yep. DJ. Yep. The yard guy. Yep. Uh, <laughs> Alex, when Marissa had a little oh, yeah. experimental phase. And then also now Volchek, where her her whole thing is like, <laughs> she's got Marissa on this pedestal and anyone that dates her is pure trash. She yeah, never no said it to Johnny. No one's good enough for Marissa. No. But Marissa is also a fucking train wreck. <laughs> the second Julie Cooper I love is the Julie Cooper where another bitch comes in and like tries to take on her turf mm-hmm. of being the biggest bitch in Newport Beach. Yeah. Like Charlotte in season three. This she, town's only big enough for one bitch. For one manipulative mm-hmm. bitch. 
Those are the two Ju- Julie Coopers that I absolutely love. Those two versions. I per- love Julie yeah. Cooper in this episode. And actually, I think the last time I was in this pod studio was when Charlotte was around. And I was talking about how much I love Julie. She has been one of my MVPs throughout the entire series. She drives so much storyline. She's got so many great things. Marissa has that burn towards her. Like, oh, do you want to sleep with him too? Talking about Volchek. Oh, that's like, a good she, one. Like, she's got so many great storylines and she's got so many layers as a character of like manipulative bitch, but like resilient and like gonna do anything for her daughters but then also like kind of a shitty person (laughs) and like she's got i love julie it's interesting you say that because that just got me thinking they said as i mentioned at the beginning ryan was the hardest character to cast and it's because how hard it is to play that dichotomy between the bad boy from the wrong side of the tracks and the guy who can live in this world and be a good character guy and they spent all this time trying to cast him and they finally got, you know, buttons. But then they just stumbled into Julie Cooper, who is essentially the same type of character. She's from the wrong side of the tracks, super mean bitch, Mm -hmm. yet she's kind of got good character inside. And, you know, it's interesting is that they they she was just a guest star. That's that's my point. She was a right. guest star when she first came on. Rachel somehow, Bilson too. Yeah, yeah, both of them. Yeah, and somehow they stumbled into Melinda Clark fil- being she, able to to yeah. handle that. She's gold. Yeah, she's gold. She and yeah, because there are other times in the show where like she plays a victim really well though. Also, where like she's down and out and like she gets people to sympathize with her and things like that, like Kirsten and everything, like. She can play so many different roles and she, still yeah. be like truly authentic Julie Cooper. It's so good. Versatile. She's very versatile. Yeah. She's great in this episode. I, I love yeah. Julie in this episode. Okay. Marissa continued. This is going to be the tough conversation part of the podcast. Mm-hmm. And you know what? I would like to dedicate this tough talk and have it be sponsored by our fine sponsors because I think we need to give an MCITW for this tough conversation. Okay. The guy that Marissa runs into at a Volchek party, there is a couple fellas there who are just casually dabbling in some teen date rape, mm-hmm. which is tough. Mm-hmm. And... I want to dedicate the MCITW to this because I want to give the worst character of the episode award to the date rapists. Yes. So on this podcast, the MCITW, that is Merce Cooper's the worst of the week. And it is brought to you by Wicklow Wear. That is W-I-C-K-L-O-W Wear. Be friends, explore. Get all your outdoor gear at WicklowWear.com. Type in the promo code VL. Check out 10% off your order. Kids, that's $30 in baseball. He's $20 on the tanks. $30 on who knows. Just get all your shit on our Instagram and go to wickloware.com. It goes to that guy at the party who is dropping, what is that? Uh, just full on roofies, roofies mm-hmm. into beer bottles and then taking this chick out to the van. Who was already super drunk. Blacked out. And then they put the date rape in her beer and have her chug it. And then the three dudes take her out to a van and Marissa's watching the whole thing happen. Right. So potentially an MCITB 
of the week where she stops all this from happening. Yeah. I mean, look, it's the name of the award that's sponsored, so we can't change the actual name. But maybe we give her MVPs. An honorary. An honorary. (laughs) Maybe we give her MVPs at the end. All I know is she does save the day because these dudes are just... They're guard. They're they're the two bros are outside the van. Yeah, uh, keeping watch because the rapist is in the van with Heather. In the van, and she's trying to be like cool at first, like, "Oh, hey, I forgot my sweatshirt in there, or whatever." And they're like, "Oh no, like, well, don't worry about it." And then she busts her way in, and the guy's like, "Oh man, wait your turn." I'm like, "God, all of it is <laughs> so disgusting." And yeah. she goes in and like basically like gets her dressed again and I guess gets her out of there. Yeah, Marissa saved the day, but god damn those guys. It, it the thing with the teen shows is there's always an episode. One Tree Hill has one. I, I think mm-hmm. at the top of my head I can think of Lucas like come going to a college party and someone like dropped a roofie and a girl's drink and he he kicks down the door to save the day. There are always these episodes and it's just like God. Damn. I mean, I know obviously it happened. You know more than anyone. This shit happens. You're in this. You're in this work. This line of work. So that's why I wanted to tee it up for you because I figured you might have the the hardest thoughts for this MCITW winner. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I mean it's yeah. It depends how dark you want to go, but yeah, it's way more common than you think, which is really shitty. And what Brian's referencing is that I work with assault survivors as a therapist. But yes. yeah. yeah, I mean, it's it's. Like twenty five percent of women, it happens to, which is insanely common and super shitty, and that's just what's reported, and we know that it's underreported. So, yeah, super dark, super depressing. Uh, Marissa acted in the coolest way possible. Track it, stop it, all that stuff. But yeah, I was in preparing for doing this. I was like, eh, not a whole lot of funny things to say about <laughs> this episode. Super dark, super fucked up. But, yeah, it does cause Marissa to return back home to Julie crying, just like, Mom, that was messed up. And you kind of see that kind of, yeah, go a little more full circle. She knows she can return home to Julie. So, casual date rape guy at the college party, or at the high school party. Get fucked. And remember, be free and explore. Brought to you by Wicklower. (laughs) (laughs) And let's quickly... Get out of that topic. All right. Out of that topic. Look, we we got to get in the weeds. The kids want it. it you know, it, it happened in the episode. We can't shy away from no. the tough topics. That would make us part of the problem. Yeah. And that is what we are not as teen allies. We are part <laughs> of the solution. solutions. Okay. Solutions. Next big topic from this that we need to cover is the Don Atwood storyline. Mm-hmm. Or as I want to call it, Don Atwood Redemption. Yeah, okay. I love Don Atwood, I realized. I, this, she brings the heat every time she's on camera. Like, in the pilot, she delivers as one of the shittiest moms in human history yeah in the casino night episode previously mentioned crushes being blacked out like a horrible mom like she is just nailing it i i was so like confused when i was watching this like why was she not made a bigger part of this show she's absolutely amazing she is you know we talk about we're always trying to find characters with like layers she is 
full of layers. Yeah. And for for an actress to only be in this show, like, what, four or five times across the, Tops. the three seasons, every time, like, her character portrayal is consistent. So, yep. like, you would think for somebody who's not, like, constantly acting in that role that, like, it would seem a little, like, discordant or something, like, maybe we'll see with Anna in the next episode. Mm. But she just, like, consistently comes back playing the character Nails it. perfectly. Yep. Yeah. And there, yeah. You know who doesn't do that? Who? The Nana. <laughs> yeah. Sethala. Anytime the Nana's on, I'm just like, oh, God, gross. Get this lady off the fucking screen. I'm done with this chick. And they she reference her in this, in this episode, too, because yeah. they're talking about who to give the graduation yeah. tickets to. And Ryan's like, oh, you can give one of mine to the Nana. And I'm like, the Nana's not coming back. Can we not? Can we yeah, be, no, be done with please, the Nana, please? No. <sighs> So anyways, Don Atwood, I love I love it. She just like anytime for me she's on the screen, she plays that dynamic character of like, I really love my son, but I just do not have my shit together. She plays that like really well. Like I have a disease. I yeah. ha- you know, I'm an alcoholic. I, I clearly I'm dealing with depression. All the stuff that she deals with. But at the end of the day, you can tell with that actress that she really loves Ryan. Like when he just like showed up in Albuquerque at the restaurant. Oh yeah, and her face. Oh like, my god, like lit up. up. Yeah, yeah. She she just like she clearly cares about her kid, loves her kid so much, but like just can't get her shit together. So I like know. she's got like half of the mom thing figured out of just like unconditional love and like admiring what your kid comes to be the other half of like actually being responsible and like just having oh, yeah. your shit. It's a big she part. can't do that other half no and that, it's a big part i think of being a mom <laughs> it's, it's, a, like, it's a classic part of, of you, momhood. you can't just have the love there is also some other things that do need to go into it like you can't just leave hey i love my kid but i'm gonna leave him homeless and hope that he either yeah. makes it in juvie somehow or uh some rich family yeah. from another part of town and like watch up. some guy beat up on him when we're all drunk yeah. and yeah 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 like the guy yeah the guy i'm dating or whatever so anyways ryan goes to albuquerque and he's going to invite his mom to graduation. That point you just mentioned, he sees her like, you know, kind of flirting or or whatever with another dude who looks like kind of like a trashy dude. And yeah, he, he's got like a bike and tattoos yeah. and all this stuff. So Ryan assumes like, oh, she hasn't changed at all. She's still just like same old tricks, same old tricks. This guy, she probably wants to get us in the living room and watch this dude beat me. <laughs> <laughs> the good old days. So. Anyways, the episode ends where super cool moment between Ryan and his mom. Quick clip. I've been showing up at my meetings and showing up for work and finally picked a decent guy. You probably don't understand how hard it is to hold it together every day. I don't know about that. I may live in Newport, but uh, I'm still your kid after all. I'm still your mom. If there's a little bit of me and you, then I can't be all bad, right? Promise me you'll remember that. I promise. I've been waiting for you. 
then he just hands her the graduation tickets and it's like fuck and then he walks out it's like mm-hmm. fuck yeah yeah it's yeah. amazing it's a cute scene yeah no that was cool you see them trying to like reconcile a little bit aforementioned at the beginning you brought up the other girl that was in this episode <laughs> do you want to discuss what her role was it's just i think again because i'm a little removed from watching like oc start to finish like i'm just like queuing up the episodes here and there like i just forget about some of the ridiculous things that go like this is stuff that doesn't happen with teens yeah. So like he's just going to have a one night stand yeah. with a woman who's over the age of 21. So they go to a bar and she's like, oh, you don't want me to tell these. And she's got like a raspy voice, which I know you're so into. Yeah. Love that. She's like, oh, you want me to tell these guys you're not 21? I'm like, how old are you, Chloe? <laughs> she's like just sipping beers, working at a diner. I'm like, OK, so you're at least 21, 22. Why are you hitting on a 17 year old? Yeah. No, that's that's a- so weird. And then what 17, 18 year old is having one night stands? That wasn't my experience. No, not me. Who's doing that? I, I love it. I, the only wrote, note I wrote down was uh, insanely out of place Ryan's sex scene in this episode. <laughs> <laughs> so Apparently they hadn't had some sex scenes in a while. And yeah. Josh Schwartz really needed to fit one in. So cue Chloe, the diner girl. <laughs> they needed a connection. I, I get what they did were trying to do they needed some buffer between ryan and his mom they needed someone because that girl what she was doing the whole time was she was like kind of having dawn's back like hey ryan she's changed and and look i can see it i live with her now i know you're not used to it because you haven't seen her in a couple years but i can vouch for her so i think without him being able to talk to anybody you can't hear his internal conflict so they need to have a person there for him to talk out all of his conflicted thoughts because he's so you know conflicted and broody and all that stuff so like you needed to have somebody there so why not make her a super hot waitress who he can fuck in a hotel room exactly but to your point it does make no sense because they always do this is another trope in teen dramas where someone just roll into town and then like some 25 year old at a bar will just be like hey 17 year old who's in real life probably got acne and like looks like he's fine he's six months off of puberty yeah uh let's just go have some wild sex in a motel room like we're like 45 it's pretty wild yeah and no 17 year old is competent enough to just like roll on into a hotel room making out throwing someone on a cabinet all that shit oh no (laughs) i would assume if i was like 17 you want to take off your top i i I could take it off i'll take i'll do mine you do yours that's that's what 17 year old sex looks like (laughs) yeah it would have just been so awkward and weird and yeah anyways okay overproduced moment as we transition into (laughs) the next gotta keep with the agenda hey overproduced Roman. here we go this song transitioned into episode 22 tiny cities made of ashes sun kill moon we're going down the road towards tiny cities made of ashes gonna hit you on your face gonna punch you in your glasses oh no just got a message said yeah hell is freezing over Got a phone call from the Lord Saying, boy, go get a sweater right now So we're drinking, drinking, drinking Drinking, drinking, coca coca 
It's actually a really sad song. <laughs> I want to get into Sandy and Kirsten in this episode, since we didn't on this one. Uh, go ahead. Just jump right into them. Because honestly, I don't have as much on Sandy and Kirsten because their storyline is, is like starting to Well, because again, me. I think it's like the Seth and Summer thing. Yeah. Like, if they're always the stable good to go couple it gets boring so you got to give them drama so you're turning sandy into this like corporate douche that caleb was and kirsten like potentially relapsing because in the in dawn patrol she almost pours a glass of wine so they're they're on the rocks they're I'll let you get into it and and talk about what you want to go into, yeah, but just to set it she's up, she's got some sick burns in this second she episode. She does. That I want to, yeah. So go ahead. Yeah, she does, especially at that dinner. Oh, fuck um, yeah. She, they are just essentially Sandy has become Caleb Nickel 2.0. He's yeah. running the Newport Group, and we're starting to realize it's kind of like Breaking Bad. It's like, can you actually defeat evil without becoming evil yourself? Yeah. I'm yeah. seeing it now in this new Handmaid's Tale season. Oh, God. Don't want to know spoilers, but I just yeah. want to say that it's becoming very clear that uh, Elizabeth Moss is mm, becoming evil to defeat the evil. Yeah, you got to play the game. And in this, you can see Sandy is playing it super well. Yep. But then it's also like he's now becoming just as awful and like Matt is his like victim in it like matt is now like matt's the fucked. whatever guy who's getting screwed over which i don't, don't really care that matt. much about yeah, matt don't even get into matt just the whole him about... and marissa thing was so fucking weird when that was I i'm not into matt i didn't yeah, get like, off don't matt. care about him but sandy 100 percent is then turning into the guy that's like harming others and being the new Caleb and like doing fucking shady deals and parking uh, garages, such a trope. Racketeering. Well. Sandy's like <laughs> racketeering like crazy. Yeah. It's my favorite crime. Fucking hiding evidence. <laughs> my, I, I, re- I had no idea my whole life like what racketeering was. And I, I looked it up at one point when I was doing some research on like different like crime organizations and stuff. <laughs> and like racketeering, just the word itself is so interesting and cool to me racketeering sounds so badass yeah no. and so it's just like bribing business official it's it's bribing business officials so that they take your business like strong arming oh. them kind of thing like let's just call it bribing if you don't do if you don't give me the trucking contract i will break your knees and i will also okay. make sure you don't get any other business in this town okay gotcha. i think I'm going to look so it up. Bribing at, and blackmailing combined is racketeering. I'm going to look it up when I'm editing this pod and take that out if it didn't make know. sense. If it's know. not right. My wheelhouse is psychology. I'm not going there. Either way, Sandy's just full on doing all these evil things. Okay, mm-hmm. so Sandy and Kirsten, go ahead. Yeah, so in Dawn Patrol, you see it like building. Kirsten's making some passive aggressive comments. Um, Sandy's not coming home, even though she's like, hey, like, I really need you home tonight. Like, we. We got to work on some shit. And so he's not coming home. And then Dawn Patrol ends with her opening up a bottle of wine. Mm-hmm. And she's about to pour it, decides not, pours it down the drain right as Seth is coming home then. So, like, she's like, whoa, whoa that was close. Like, I got to figure this shit out. And then we get into the college try. 
there's like no communication between them, especially when there's some shit going down with Ryan and all that that we'll get into. And Kirsten just has some sick burns against mm. Sandy as all of this is going down that amounts in the dinner with the best toast ever. Clip. I'd like to propose a toast. To Sandy Cohen, who has told me countless times over the last year how important this hospital is to him. Ouch. You know, they say that when you grow up, you marry your father. I thought I'd escape that. <laughs> yeah. She, that, people say, you marry your father. I thought I had escaped that. Sets her glass down, grabs her purse, leaves, and chugs a glass of Chardonnay in the park. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Who's chugging Chardonnay? But, yeah. Yeah. Dark times for Sandy and Kirsten. Yeah. That's all I wrote on that. I just wrote, Kirsten, double burn on Sandy. Oh, yeah. That scene is, it's so good. She's got so, and she has a couple good burns in the other episode, too. But, like, that one was just, like, Boom and boom again. And way to go, Sandy, on making her fucking drink. Like, all on him for being the worst. She has a problem with this. We know this. Mm -hmm. She literally ended season two on a horrible bender, wrecking her car, totaling her car, like almost killing herself. Caleb's uh, funeral. Yeah. So way to go, Sandy, like sucking so much dick that you literally force your wife to like fucking full on relapse. Like suck, dude. And she's sitting there saying like, we need to talk, like come home. We need to talk he, like things aren't good. And he doesn't. So like, that's why I feel like he is more to blame. Well, it's like, all right, Sandy understood that like nine to five while you're at work, you're becoming Caleb Nickel. But sure. that's the problem is that he can't turn it off at five even now. Now it's like seeping into their personal lives. Yeah. And he's just becoming essentially full on Caleb Nickel 24 seven to where he's not talking to her at all. Whatever. Like you said, it sucks. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Yeah. No, good. You brought that up. Cause we haven't, we haven't done a whole lot of catching up with Kirsten and Sandy. Yeah. This is a college visit episode though. Yeah. I'm going to go through quick, uh, through a lot of these quick. I did laugh at the beginning when Ryan was first visiting Berkeley and he was telling that guy, he's like, where are you from? And he's like, sheepishly like, oh, um, I guess this would come up anyway. I'm from (sighs) Chino. I should probably let you know now before my whole reputation is (laughs) fucked at this university. He's like. It's cool. I got a roommate from Bangladesh. (laughs) Well, we're comparing Bangladesh to Ryan, Chino, not a big deal when you get to college, guy. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so then there's that. Ryan and Marissa are going to Berkeley. Quite honestly, I don't even really want to talk about anything with Ryan and Marissa at Berkeley. Here's all you need to know about Ryan and Marissa at Berkeley. Marissa realizes... Nope, I'm going to skip Marissa safer for the end. Here's all you need to know. Here we go. 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 Here's all you need to know about Ryan at Berkeley. Dog <laughs> got overproduced. Take two. Take two. Here we go. I need. Oh, I hated that. Oh. 
leather, red leather, yellow leather. All you need to know is. All right, here we go. <coughs> Take two, Ryan. Here's all you need to know about Ryan at Berkeley. <laughs> you have to start it another way. <laughs> Nothing, because Ryan goes home because Teresa. Here, here's another. Okay, two. <laughs> There's two. <laughs> I didn't know the whole time you were saying that over and over again is that you were just trying to say nothing. <laughs> Here's what you need to know. Here, <clears throat> let me try that again. Here's what you need to know. All right, nothing. <laughs> <clears throat> okay all right i there there was nothing interesting from ryan being at college the only thing that was interesting for ryan at college was that they brought Teresa back kirsten when she was taking ryan to the airport saw Teresa come in with her son yes so we haven't seen Teresa since the very beginning of season two which she said was that Lost the baby. Not pregnant. You got to go back home. This isn't the place for you. You're only here because of the baby. Yeah. And And then she's got a kid that looks about two years old. Yes. So Ryan left college. That's why nothing (laughs) happened with Ryan at college. Because he left because he found out, oh, shit, I might actually have a kid. So he went back. And then there was this whole conversation with Teresa, which was wild because she's like, no, yes. Okay, I did lie to you. I, I kept the kid, but you were not the father. But if you look at that kid. It looks like buttons. Eddie is like 6'5", string bean, like mm-hmm. 160 pounds, soaking wet, 6'5", super dark complexion, like jet black hair. Yeah. Teresa has jet black hair. This kid has. Yeah, and Teresa's like half Hispanic. And I, uh, yeah. I always assumed Eddie was too, just given like some of their engagement party and stuff. Like I was just assuming that like both of them potentially were like half Hispanic or whatever. And then here comes this kid, fucking like light brown hair, like dead ringer for Buttons kid. Like yeah, no, no olive skin tone. No, no. <laughs> None of this that kid, shit. this kid's two year old Buttons, super white, just buttons brownish sandy blondish but mostly light brownish hair yeah it's it's two-year-old buttons so i just i'm like okay oc showrunners if you're gonna cast a kid and you're gonna say like hey it's not ryan's or whatever you can't make him look exactly like Ryan. No, have it be a little more ambiguous or in between. <clears throat> like you can still be the, build the drama of like, oh my god, Eddie's or Ryan's, Eddie's or Ryan's. But like to have it be a dead ringer for Ben Buttons is, it was just weird. It was weird. It was weird. So Ryan, and he, again, you know, they were just playing that 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 whole storyline was for the promo. You know, oh, like, yeah, can you yeah, imagine the yeah. teasers back in 06 for this? Of Teresa's like, back. next week, Teresa returns. Yeah. With Ryan's kid. Yeah. <laughs> the picture of Button's child. Yeah. Yeah. 
they and and they're also they always want Ryan to be waffling going back and forth between the two worlds. So it's yeah. like they can't just have Ryan go to college and have a good experience at Berkeley. They need to always have him like being pulled back in. And he says as past. much when he gets back and Kirsten's like, I'm so sorry I told you that and you came back here. And he's like, honestly, like it wasn't feeling right there. I knew there had to be something. Yeah. And it's like, and okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't right. I knew all along, like even when I was walking through yeah all right off of them wait okay because one of the lines that has been iconic in our family from this show over the years every time we talk about misha barton we talk about charity leagues mm-hmm. and social chair mm-hmm. and she says that line while at berkeley with the tour guide who honestly looks like a 35 year old man clip you bought that what? That was an act? Well, it wouldn't have been two years ago. I was the girl on yearbook, charity league, social chair, whatever my mom told me to do. Yeah. I, and that yeah. is, that has been our tagline for Marissa over the years. And as I watched it back, it wasn't as dramatic as I <laughs> remembered it in my head. Well, the thing is, is Marissa just really struggles with saying the word charity. Yeah, it's like charity. Charity. <laughs> charity. Charity. And then she quickly says social char. <laughs> like right after. <laughs> it's yeah. so awkward. So it's, While she's walking with this freshman that looks like he's 32, carrying a keg of beer across the quad. I'm like, yeah, that's not how it works in college. You can't just carry a cooler of beer <laughs> yeah. across the quad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <sighs> The interesting thing, last thing I want to bring up about the, um, this just reminded me of that. Uh, by the way, Rachel Bilson and Melinda Clark's podcast is called Welcome to the OC Bitches. I should have yeah. called that out. Go listen to that, kids, because it's amazing. But the other thing on that pod that they said was when they were casting Marissa early in C, uh, you know, for the pilot, she was 15 turning 16. Like she was. Not even fully 16 yet when they started filming season one. Mm-hmm. And they said, though, that she looked so much older for her age that they couldn't, ca- like, they had to now cast dudes who were like Ben Buttons, who's like, you know, yeah. 20 to 25, because she actually, at 15 or 16, looked like a 25 year old, kind yeah. of. Yeah. Yeah. And so they were like, it was tough because you couldn't cast like a young 17 year old dude next to her because it would have made no sense it would have been like why is this 17 year old guy with this 24 five year old girl yeah like she she does look much older oh yeah yeah her hair's like always perfect she looks like she's in her 30s season three marissa hair is the best yeah for sure all right seth and summer Mm -hmm. their storyline Seth has gone to Brown. Summer's there. She's doing like her initiation thing. And Seth is going there to just like, I'm going to get myself in. I'm going to find a way to get myself into this Ivy League school. Absurd storyline. Just by showing up. Yeah. He runs into one Anna Stern. Cohen! (laughs) (laughs) So we get a blast from season one past 
in both these episodes, we get Don Atwood blast from season one and see in episode 21. And then Teresa and Anna Stern blast from season one in episode 22, which again does lend to the argument of like ratings were dropping. Let's bring back yeah. some of the favorites that caused all the drama. Let's give a love triangle interest with Seth summer. Like, yeah, it just lends more support to all of that. So Seth in the most not like, again, we just call him nonsensical Seth because nothing he does makes sense. He goes up to the guy who's like in control. He's like the dean of admissions or something like that. Yeah. And he's in control of um, reading people's essays and admissions and, and all that stuff. And, and Seth sets a meeting with him and he goes and he meets with him. And the guy finds out that Seth is actually not a student. Mm-hmm. So it's a complete waste of time for him to be talking to this idiot. And... He's going to give him like 60 seconds to make his pitch. His pitch goes for shit. But then I want to play this clip at the very end where he's like trying to sell this dean of admissions on letting him into Brown, an Ivy mm-hmm. League school. Mm-hmm. Dr. Overby, I have to get in here. Okay. And it's not just because I love it. Although I do. I truly, I do. It's because of a girl. Her name's Summer Roberts and she's going here. And if I don't get in, I'm going to lose her. And the rest of my life is going to be ruined. So this is about a girl. Yes. It's about the girl. What the fuck? Like, can you imagine that ever working with a dean of admissions at a college then being like, oh, 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 I, I didn't know. I didn't know it was about your high school crush and your your high school girlfriend, right. 17 and a half year old. Yeah. You want to get into this Ivy League school because of a girl that you're passionately in love with and infatuated with at 17 and a half goes here? I'm a Sonian! Mm-hmm. I was, it's like, Seth, I, look, we had to give the date rapists the MCITW, obviously, <laughs> on this podcast, but... I gave Seth the MCITW on the last one, and I was tempted to give him another one on this one. I know. And, like, so I work with college students now. (laughs) Like, whenever they come in and they're like, I'm just still really upset over breaking up with my high school girlfriend or boyfriend or whatever. All of us collectively are just like, well, whatever, you'll get over it. Literally none of it matters. None of it matters. Freaking 17 years old. Like none of this matters. You will not. This will not be significant in a matter of months. Get over it. I'll ride this out with you while you get over it. And I know you'll get over it soon. And so that's everything that Dr. Overby is thinking when Seth is talking to him. It's just like, but instead in the clip, he's like, oh, about a girl. Well, that makes more sense. Like, almost that he's, like, connecting with Seth. And instead, it's just like, no, anybody would just be like, well, this is fucking ridiculous. It's even more ridiculous than I thought. I'm looking up percent of people who marry their high school sweethearts. Because now I'm just curious. Okay. Wow. What guess. would you guess this this is? Unfortunately, I feel like it's higher than I think it is. And I want to say, like, 20% of people. In this article, it says the results are not promising. In 2014, a study was conducted that said less than 2% of all marriages were between high school sweethearts. So, to your point, 
anyone that comes in there and is talking yeah. about a relationship, it's we're we're talking real low percentages on like if you actually started dating in high school, that's the person you're supposed to be with forever. Yeah. So if a pre-freshman student is going up to like the dean of students, I'm right. here for a girl. His reaction is not, oh, girl. His reaction is, yeah, okay, well, you're going to have to get over that Got guy because yeah. this is not my problem. But the way they edited it was like they started playing that music in the background. It was kind of like, oh, man, he's kind of like making it. He's selling him on it. And the guy like the. Yeah, the- and he's, oh, I'm sorry. We got to honor the letters we send out that it's about that. Yeah. And that like he really is with Seth on. A- no, the whole fucking no. thing is so stupid. The whole concept of the whole weekend, the faculty are about to meet with thousands of students, <laughs> who prospective students. They're just having a cocktail hour in somebody's house with thousands of pre-freshman students. And you can just go up and talk to the dean of students. No. None of that is how that works. I never had... I went to a big university. Oh, you. Indiana University. Yeah. Very big. Much, you know, much bigger than Brown. But like... Either way, I never had a relationship with a professor of like getting to know a professor or like he knew my story. And it's just like these things of like, and by the way, if you were going to like a faculty student, like happy hour or no, you don't have those until like losers. You don't have that until like graduate school. Yeah. Like I had that in grad school with like our program of 10 students met with like the six faculty and we had like a wine and cheese thing because then again like everyone's of age and at that point you're like co-workers on things and you're all adults yeah you're not fucking sitting in a fucking house having cocktails with 17 year olds no doesn't make any sense no didn't make any sense but summer uh anna coming though was awesome because you know anna's whole thing in season one was she was essentially the girl who gave seth confidence confidence cohen confidence cohen she's essentially the one who made him seth cohen i mean before her he was like a nerdy guy with no confidence whatever he had no chance with summer right before anna stern showed no, up he's just bumbling and just like kind of just talk like this under his breath no no way yeah so now it's like they brought her back in to where her same role is to kind of like give him confidence as he starts heading into the adult world a little bit. And she says, look, this door is closing, but if you really want to like be in close proximity to summer and all that stuff, let's, let's start thinking outside of the box. Right. She, and that's the thing. Like when the thing didn't work with the Dina students or whoever that guy was, Seth just completely gives up. Again, just like so fucking weak. And then Anna comes in like, hey, I have this great. Now she's more invested than he even is because he's being so fucking weak yeah. about it. And she comes in with the RISD idea. It's it's really a shame that that Seth has fallen off a cliff this much in season three. Because he's by the way, so great. <laughs> the, the thing with the, the smoking weed and everything, that was also in season three. Like his season three storylines have just sucked. Yeah. Like, they've been terrible. So, 
Anna gives him like an outside of the box thought of like, look, let's not go. Brown is off the table. You're not going to talk the dean of admissions no. in an Ivy League school into letting you in. So let's start thinking outside of the box. What's some what's some things that you have going for you? You created an entire fucking comic book yeah. that was sold to like a massive mm-hmm. company and like went on to be like a huge graphic novel. Right. Okay, let's lean into that. And she starts proposing this whole RISD thing, which mm-hmm. is getting into like this artist, you know, art school or whatever. Yeah. And she's got like a connection there. She's like, oh, my cousin or whatever. So she's just making all of it happen while he's just like, I don't know what to do. I can't get into Brown. So that's going to be the solution is him going to RISD, which is in the same state as Brown and that's how him and Summer are going to be able to technically be together. Yeah. But but Summer sees them at the very end. Ugh. He and Anna, his interview there goes well. Things are looking up. She's like, "Okay, get on back to Newport. Go get your girl." They hug and of course cuz it's the smallest world ever. Summer, I forgot her name for a second. <laughs> Summer just happens to walk into the airport seeing them hugging and assumes the worst with the hug. You know, this is where I think it gets back to that whole thing of like when you have 25 to 27 hour long episodes you're trying to burn through each season. Yeah. It's just by the time you get to season three. Mm hmm. You're so bone dry on storylines. Yeah. And it, it, it just, it's run its course. And now you, you're you forced to double back to like old storylines that you had years ago. Yeah. Like, let's do it, the storyline where somebody sees a conversation like, I saw you talking to her or I saw you hug her. And like, we're just going to read everything into the most ambiguous, yeah. like innocent scene. It's tough. And I I was actually thinking when I was watching it cuz you know, I've I've made we've talked about this a lot on the pod, so I'm I don't want to hammer it too much, but you really do feel it in these episodes like when you're watching Netflix shows now, it's 10 episodes a season right. and some entire episodes are dedicated to one super small little story. Mm-hmm. Like Walking Dead does this all the time where they just will follow one cast member. The entire there's like 15 cast members in that show. They'll just say this episode is dedicated to Daryl only. And yeah. so it's interesting on the OC I'm watching these I'm like Jesus Christ like they burned through Matt, Sandy, Anna coming back, Teresa coming back, Sa- mm-hmm. Kirsten's going back to her drinking, Seth is like acting like a total idiot, Ryan is like going to see his mom, then he's hook having sex with this random they burned through so many yeah. stories over the course of like 45 minutes. Right. That you're like who can blame this kind of like starting to fizzle out, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, it's just crazy how, how how much they have to get through it. But okay, last one, Marissa. Mm-hmm. I think it started to become clear that I don't know what Marissa's path is. Like I don't know what it's supposed to be because when she's at Berkeley, I think they're trying to like phase her out because. When she's at Berkeley, she's like, I don't know, like for because she's talking to Ryan about it. And she's like, you know, for you, like 
it felt right, right? And he's like, yeah, it did for a little bit. And she's like, oh, it didn't for me. So like you see her wheels turning of like, college isn't for me. Like my path isn't your all's path. And then you see her getting back with Volchek up, up, like, essentially at the end. So it's just like, I feel like in that moment, if she was going to stay on the show, they would have like started rekindling a thing with her and Ryan and building that yeah. back up again. But because she wasn't going to, it's like, well, let's do this storyline. Like she's just, she's not fitting into this whole like college high school then college like following the path their parents she's not doing all of it so i just feel like i don't know i feel like they just are like phasing her out because like she's not on the path that everyone's on kind of a thing yeah it, it it's starting to become clear to me even if i hadn't already seen this the way that they're taking this marissa path it it's I want to say I'm trying to put myself back in the mindset of when I was watching it for the first time. And I do feel like I was starting to feel in the moment like something's not right. Yeah. Something's not how right else with the Marissa would they thing. have continued that? If, okay, Ryan goes to Berkeley, Seth and Summer are in Rhode Island. What, Marissa stays back in Newport and just hangs out with younger kids or is doing shit with Julie? Like... Or, like, what, her and Volchek live their lives? Like, how would they have continued that in any way that would have been, like, cohesive? And so that's why high school, like, teen dramas don't last is because high school ends and then they all go off to colleges. I, know, I, know. I mean, you know. Yeah, we've talked about it a million times. That's yeah. it. And that that's why I, I just, the OC ran into this. And, and this is why we're not even going to cover season four on this podcast. Because so when they go to college it's so cool when you just skip college and then you come back and it's like oh whoa Peyton and Lucas broke up and he was hooking up with someone else while mm-hmm. he was at school and now they're seeing each other for the first time in four years fuck there's all these like yeah. cool things you can do but when you go off to college it's like oh my god he followed her to that school like mm-hmm. pathetic mm-hmm. anyways all right who's your MVP who did you I, I had a lot of people that were floating around in my head for consideration on this can mm-hmm. i just throw out a couple before you say who your mvp was let's hear it don atwood mm. i thought don atwood brought the fucking wood okay per usual <laughs> don atwood delivering the goods in in just one episode though um marissa stops fucking rape that's that's a hard one to beat. <laughs> Let's go. Mm-hmm. So there's Marissa, Don Atwood. I also like Kirsten's sick burns on Sandy. Those were great. That I mean, like I I was watching that today, and Mom was in the room, and I was like, oh. <laughs> sick burn. <laughs> Mom was so confused. And then Anna Stern showing up, you know, and totally putting Seth, course correcting Seth again for the second time in his life. So those who I have, but who uh, who jumped out to you? Honestly, like, yeah, Kirsten's Burns, classic, sick. classic sick Burns. And sick. she's being so passive aggressive to Sandy. And I love a little passive aggression. But the relapse thing bothered me. Mm-hmm. Marissa. Yeah. The rape save. Super cool. <laughs> But then she goes back to Volchek just doing like classic Marissa shit, which is the namesake of MCITW. So I, I yeah. struggle with that one, too. 
I feel like you know who I want to give it to, and it wasn't in your list. And oh, it's shit. Julie Cooper. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. It's She's like got MVP? 10 years of cardio bar to kick your ass. She makes a joke about, oh, yeah, he's got the abs, which was like, it's kind of like when Seth always used to make jokes about the valley mm-hmm. on the OC, the show they watch. Like, that's Julie making a comment on, like, what all the kids were saying about Volchek and the media and, like, that actor and everything. Very self-aware. Yeah. yeah. And so, like, I think that's super funny. And, and yeah, like, at this point, she's with Dr. Roberts. Like, she's actually got her shit together a little bit. I just love Julie. And, like, she just, Marissa comes home and she doesn't even ask questions. It's just like, yep, you're home. I gotcha. I like Julie for the MVP. Hey. Julie Cooper, you get it. MVP on this podcast. I, I think I would have gone Don Atwood. Obviously. But that's, that's just what me. You said, yeah. <laughs> that's what you said first. But that's just me. No, Julie Cooper, I, It's it's been so interesting listening to that pod with her on it with Summer mm-hmm. because her watching it back is just like, God, she's watching these like kids do all this shit and she's just like a mom or whatever and she's just watching this show back like what the fuck were we doing like god yeah i definitely have to listen to that but i gotta say i know we already gave them citw but if we were doing a close second to the rapists it would be fucking sandy cohen in these two episodes oh yeah being the worst causing kirsten to drink yep these shady deals just being Caleb, but in a way less cool way. Like Caleb still like was just awesome in a Caleb. couple ways. I love Caleb. Like Sandy's just he doesn't have any of that cool factor, and he's losing like the cool parts of him of like being a good dad and husband and yeah. all that shit. And it's just like Sandy with the close MCITW second. Okay, so right behind the rapist. <laughs> yep. Hand in hand. Just so we're clear. <laughs> All right, cool. Hey, great note to end it on. Uh, good stuff. Third time pod for you. You really bring you bring it. You bring it every time you're on for the kids, for the Thanks. teens. Thanks, man. But, God, it's getting late. It's after 10 o'clock, and you know what time it is. It's sleepy time for those kids, and they want to get tucked in because they're tired. So, I love a good tuck in. You love a good tuck in, and so do we on this podcast. So, thanks for coming on, Cardi. I appreciate you breaking down the OC on this pod, and we will tell everyone as we sign off. Clear eyes, full hearts. Do less, kids. Do less. You can follow us on Instagram at Vicarious Living Podcast and listen to all of our episodes on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. You know you found us when you find a picture of Pat and I sitting on a couple rocks overlooking the vast landscape that is Laguna Beach. Steven's there, just not pictured. Steven and Elsie, both there, just not pictured.